0: If you have your bibles turn to 1st Chronicles 16. This is not my primary text. I'm just going to very very quickly read something here and my primary text is Psalm 73. But 1st Chronicles 16 in first, first chronicles 16 we read of how that the ark which had been taken by the Philistines by certain events was now being brought back to Jerusalem to the city of David and there is a great amount of rejoicing and great a great amount of commotion and singing and a great amount of joy That precedes the ark coming back into the city. The the people of God are finally going to bring the ark back into the city of David. For a short period of time, I had been at, or for a period of time, I had been at the the home of Obed Edom. And while the ark was there at this household, it blessed this household. And now they were going to take the ark back to the city of God. And David goes to great lengths to roll out the red carpet, if you will, for the ark. And the ark, if you remember, it represents the presence of God. The ark is where God, between the cherubim that were on the lid of the ark, it's where the manifest presence of God would dwell and abide. And in a very special way for His people, He would dwell there and manifest presence before the people of God. And and eventually the ark would be put... And it's resting place in the Holy of Holies, the, the inner uh, portion of the tabernacle and of the temple. And so the ark is being, brought, is being brought back with great reverence, with great joy. And I want you to start at verse 1, First Chronicles 16 and 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And just in the preceding verse, the pre- preceding chapter, David danced before the Lord. And his wife, Michael, she detested him. She thought he was making a fool of himself, but he was dancing because the ark was, being, uh, was coming back into the city. And so this, this is how chapter 16 starts. So um, he put it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to every one of Israel both man and woman to everyone a loaf of bread a piece of meat and a cake of raisins now that doesn't seem like much for us here today but in this day and time you're living high on the hog with that in your pantry that is a great blessing from the king verse 4 and he appointed some of the levites to minister before the ark of the lord to commemorate to thank and to praise the lord god of Israel, I want you to concentrate very, very closely on this next verse, and the person mentioned Asaph, the chief, and next to him Zechariah, then Jael, and then several others with stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with simple symbols. Benaniah and Jehaziel the priest regularly blew the trumpets before the ark of the covenant of God, and lastly, verse seven. On that day, David first delivered the psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Now go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verses 1 and 2, and we will come back and forth throughout this psalm and learn something very important for our lives from this psalm and from a particular man, which is our point of interest here today. 7, 3, and 1, truly God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then go down to verses 16 and 17. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. The title today is, Until I Went into the Sanctuary. Lord, I pray that you have blessed your word. Not just the hearing, but Lord, help us to do it. Help us to be hearers and doers of your word. Help us to be encouraged here today. Let us run to you before we run to any person, before we run to our own resources, our own cunningness, and our own thoughts, our own flesh, God. Help us, Lord, not to try to figure things out in the power of our own might, but help us to rest in you and your sovereignty and your mind and your will and your counsel. Help us to rest in you and just dwell in your presence. Help us here, most of all here today, to draw near to you. Because for those who draw near to you, you draw near to them. Give us a pure heart. Give us clean hands here today. Bless your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. The reason I read 1 Chronicles chapter 16 is because there is a particular man of interest I wanted to draw attention to. It's the same man who wrote Psalms 73. And this man's name is Asaph. Asaph is attributed for writing Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 through 83. The book of Psalms is made up of five separate books. And Psalm 73 is the beginning of the third book of the Psalms. And it is attributed to this man called Asaph. Now this man Asaph was a very important person who served in the presence of David and also served the people of God. We learn from 1 Chronicles chapter 16 that Asaph was a Levite and he was a worship leader in the tabernacle choir. He is described as a chief of the Levites who is appointed to minister before the ark of the Lord. And he and his brothers are appointed to sing the songs of thanksgiving to the Lord. That's what we just read. Over in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and 30, it tells us that both Asaph and David, they were skilled singers and poets. And the bird of God also tells us that Asaph was also a seer or a prophet. And you you see um, post-exilic scriptures, you see the sons of Asaph. Or it's a guild of poets and singers who considered their master to be Asaph who served in the tabernacle with song and poetry and prophecy. And we see that the person Asaph, he was a very skilled singer, poet, and prophet who was very, very near to David. He was handpicked by David to go before the ark and to minister in the court of the tabernacle and minister before the people. And I want you to understand the background to Psalm 73 because it makes it all that more impactful when you read what Asaph had to say in Psalm 73. Asaph Asaph was one of these few chosen men who had the great privilege to usher in the glory of God back into the city of David in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. He was gifted by God, called to serve before the ark, called to serve by God's men, by David, to serve his king, to serve his God, to serve his people. He was in a very privileged um, circumstance and position and he, was, he had the privilege of seeing things and being exposed to things that other people didn't. He saw the wonderful rejoicing. He was right in the midst of it. He was ground zero. And he had the opportunity to partake and add to this rejoicing over the ark coming back to the city. Wonderful rejoicing. Wonderful reverence. Great reverence. And a great privilege for him to serve in such a capacity. He's, he's one of these individuals that... We might look on at a Christian and say, man, they really know God. They're really close to God. That's the kind of person that Asaph was. He was one who was mature in the Lord, if you will. He was one who had a relationship and a history with God. He knew God for himself. And not just that, but he was gifted by the grace of God to serve the Lord. To to go before the Ark of the Covenant, the very manifest presence of God... And to rejoice over that. And he served the Lord faithfully. He served the Lord faithfully. He served his king faithfully. He served the people of God faithfully. But all of us, no matter who we are, how close we are to the Lord, no matter what our history and our experience, we do struggle. We do struggle. We struggle because we're in this life which has all kinds, that offers all kinds of scenarios and circumstances in which our faith is tested. Where we are are brought to our knees and we come to the Lord and say, God, why is this happening in my life? I've done nothing but serve you. I know I'm not perfect, quote unquote perfect, but I love you. My heart is pure and I serve you and you've gifted me and I've served you faithfully and and why is this happening to me? And so we look here at Psalm 73 and this is how Psalm 73 starts. This is how the third book of the book of Psalms starts. It starts with Asaph saying in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. Now he's talking about and you'll understand more later. He's actually saying, by saying I almost stumbled and I only, almost slipped, not just that I sinned, but that I almost lost faith in the Lord. That's what we're going to learn here in a moment, what he means by I almost stumbled, I almost slipped. I almost turned my back on the Lord, I almost doubted God. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason he almost stumbled, he nearly slipped. Here's the cause for him to pour out his heart before God. In verse 3, for I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, as gifted, as close to the Lord as Asaph was, he struggled with this thing in particular. It looks like, when I look at the world, it looks like the evil and the wicked, they prosper. Those who boast in their sin, it seems there's no judgment. And it says he became envious of them. He became envious of those who were prospering or supposedly prospering while yet in their wickedness. Now, this was the cause of near stumble for Asaph. But all of us may have reason to stumble and to ask Lord questions as to why is this happening? Why is this going on? And I'll explain further. But he goes on to say, I'm not going to read extensively, but he goes on to say from verses 4 to 12, and he expounds on why he thinks the wicked are so prosperous and why he's so envious of them and why he doesn't understand what appears to be so unfair in the circumstances around him. He says in verse 4, there's no pains in their death. In verse 5, he says, they are not in trouble, nor are they plagued as other men. In verse 6, he says, they wear pride around their necks as jewelry, and they have violence as a garment upon them. In verse 7, he says, their eyes bulge with abundance, possessing all things in great abundance. They have more than they need to the point that their eyes bulge. In verse 8, he says, they are proud and look down upon the oppressed. In verse nine, nine he says, "Their speech is blasphemous and their tongue is unrestrained." In verse ten, he says, "The people, people around them, are enticed by these supposed waters of abundance offered by these irreverent men, and they are blind and they blindly drink from those cups that those men offer." In verse eleven, he says. He promptly, uh, they properly ask, does God really know all things and know what we are doing? The proud people, the blasphemous people are saying, does God really know? Is there really a God? And in verse 12, he says that the ungodly are always at ease and they increase in riches. And then in verse 13, I want you to look at it if you're in your Bible. And then he laments the fact concerning himself. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened chastened every morning. As close to the Lord as Asaph was. As close as he was to God's man, David. As, as wonderful as the experience of ushering in the ark, the presence of God into the city, and being called to such a wonderful calling and faithfully serving the Lord, Asaph had a struggle. He had a struggle. For him, he became envious and embittered towards those who seemed to prosper while yet floundering in their wickedness and evil as if God did not see it. And many people, many people become bitter and envious and almost angry at God because of things that have happened to them. You know, how many people have become angry at God when a child dies? I'll tell you, when I see a child suffering from cancer, I I sit there and say, God, I don't understand that. That's, that's, That's one of the... Grieve, most grieving things you can see in life. You see a child suffer. You see children die of starvation in another country. You know, things happen to us that we totally blindside us, that seem totally, totally unfair in comparison to our faithfulness to God, and we've served Him, and we've loved Him, we've kept our eyes on Him, and then injustice comes into our lives. Somebody betrays us. Somebody swindles us. Our own family members betray us. Our own children betray us. There's job loss. There's a loss of a spouse. There's sickness. There's cancer. There's, there's things that really hit you in the gut in life. I'm not talking about a flat tire. I'm not talking about spilled coffee in the morning. I'm not talking about petty little things. I'm talking about things that really hit you in your gut, and it really, really, really makes you ask, Oh, God, where are you in this? I don't understand. I thought, I thought I was strong. I I thought, I thought I was really strong and really close to you, but my faith is really struggling right now. I feel really weak right now. And I don't care how spiritual you are, how close you are to the Lord, all of us are going to come to moments in life where the testing of your faith, the genuineness of your faith is going to be known. How genuine is your faith? How 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 close are you to the Lord? And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm just talking about how near are you to the Lord? What kind of solid foundation are you standing on? And it's storms of life. It's the punch in the gut that proves the genuineness of our faith. And ultimately, if we allow God to have His way and work in our lives, we'll come out stronger. But it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's easy. We're all human. And we're all subject to temptations, likened likened unto the person next to us. And even Ezekiel, while yet he had called down fire from heaven with such boldness and anointing, once Jezebel was after him, he went into the forest and just weeks later he's saying, God, I wish I were dead. He was depressed in the wilderness. And he had to be encouraged by an angel. He had to be encouraged by the Lord. Elijah, I don't know if I said Ezekiel, but Elijah is what I meant to say. He called down fire from heaven and just a few days, weeks later, he's saying, God, I wish I were dead. He's depressed because he's facing what looks like an insurmountable challenge to his faith in God. But I want you to know God is always faithful. God is always faithful to encourage you And just when it seems like you can't take any more, He comes to your rescue. He undergirds you. He gives you a way of escape. He proves Himself over and over. But the the key is, if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. In verse 15, He says this, If I had said, I will speak thus. Meaning, if I would have said all of the things that I said in verses 4 through 12 outwardly. So everything he said in verses 4 through 12, this is an internal discussion he's having with himself and with God. He has not declared this to anybody. He he has not said anything to anyone, to any human being. This is an internal struggle and discussion and argument maybe he's having with God. And he says... He says in 15, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. And what Asaph is saying, in the midst of my turmoil and anguish, my mind was in a foggy state and I was not thinking clearly. I was thinking after the flesh and I was underestimating God's plan and his sovereignty and his strength. And though he had lost some clarity and wisdom, he was wise enough not to declare his feelings as being the truth of God. What he was feeling in that moment, he was wise enough not to go and declare it in the street corner as if it were truth of God. If you're mad at God, go into the woods and yell at him. Don't do it in the middle of your living room where your, your kids can see If you have qualms with God, it's okay. If you don't understand, God, I I don't get this. I'm actually angry right now. And I feel like you've, you've left me. I feel like you bless people who don't deserve to be blessed. And you have all these feelings. And your flesh has a hold of you. And you're entrenched in this quagmire. But he was wise enough not to declare this for all to hear because... What he would have have said in verses 4 through 12, it was not the truth. It was only what he was feeling in that moment. He felt like God had forsaken him. He felt like God was not acknowledging the wicked acts of evil men. And he internalized it and he kept it in. It does not mean this. It does not mean if you have a struggle that you don't go to somebody and say, I need help. But what it does mean is that you don't go and say, God has forsaken me because you feel like he has. Or you think he has. But that is not the truth. That is not the truth. Be very careful what you say. Be very careful what you say. It's okay to communicate, man, I'm struggling in this area. But do not make claims against God that are contrary to the truths declared in the word of God. And what he has declared concerning himself. Because that can be a stumbling block to those around you. And he says, I'm glad I did, not, I did not externally and audibly say these things to the people. He said, because I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Almost a year ago, this was in Christian headlines, there was a worship leader at a big church in Australia who had put out an Instagram post. Very long post, basically saying, I don't understand the injustice in the world. I don't understand how God could send people to hell who've never heard the gospel. I don't understand suffering and evil. And basically in this post, nobody knew he was struggling with these questions. In this post, he was basically saying... I don't understand God. Why has God forsaken the weak and the lowly? Why does God condemn anyone to hell for, who hasn't heard the gospel? And he was audibly putting this out for everyone. And these questions he had are not unlike any question Anyone has had who has seriously tried to try to consider the evil of the, of the world around us and, and, and try to try to understand the love of God and yet there's still evil in this world. That's that is a centuries-long question. And yet he he said this out loud for everyone to see. For everyone to see. Be very, very slow to declare your feelings when it's not founded on the truth of God and it is not truth yell at god in private Vent all you want go yell at the trees in the woods but don't do it on the street corner don't do it in your living room because because in verse 16 he said when i thought how to understand this it was too painful for me i couldn't understand it i tried i tried to make sense of what i see around me try to make sense of a deceased child i try to make sense of a cancer diagnosis i try to make sense of a car wreck i try to make sense of job loss I try to make sense of divorce. I try to make sense of child abuse and rape. I try to make sense of all these things and it's too painful for me. Too much anguish. Like, I can't comprehend. I don't get it. 17. Here's the turning point. And here is the title of this message. All of this was a source of confusion and anguish and pain and there was no clarity in his mind and no rest in his spirit It was too painful for me. Verse 17, until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Asaph, he's a leader in the tabernacle. And I could imagine as he is leading the people in worship, or, or maybe it's during the, a reading of a psalm, whatever it is, in the midst of worship, when he goes to the sanctuary, now the word sanctuary has multiple meanings throughout the word of God, but there, there, were, there were three sanctuaries, if you will, for the tabernacle. Now, this is the tabernacle that is housed in a temporary place, a tent or a wooden structure. And not until Solomon comes and takes the throne does he actually build a temple. But right now, it's the tabernacle that David has housed the ark within. And there's three sanctuaries to to the tabernacle. There's the outer court. There's the outer court, which is the first sanctuary. And then there's the most holy place, which is just inside the entrance of this wooden, wooden building. And then there's the holy of holies, which is the inner sanctum of the tabernacle, which is behind the veil. And the only thing that's in this place is the Ark of the Covenant. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go and sprinkle blood of the the, uh, Passover lamb and sprinkle it between the cherubim where the presence of God dwelt and he would sprinkle that mercy seat to make propitiation for the people of God until the next year. And he's saying, until I came and I worshipped God. It's when I came and I praised God. It's when I took my eyes off my circumstance. When I took my eyes off trying to understand my own little finite understanding. And I put my eyes on God and I worshipped Him. And I praised Him. And I glorified Him. Then I understood. Then I received clarity from the Spirit of God. Then God spoke to me. Then then my flesh, which wanted to take over me, it it was pushed down by the Spirit of God who came and spoke truth to me. And my feelings were dispelled. And the Spirit of God came and declared what was really happening. The truth of the matter. Then I understood their end. And he says through 18 through 20, as to how they really are going to be judged by God. God does see their wickedness. God is sovereign. God is in control. And though we don't understand His plan, though we don't understand why things happen the way they do, God is still in control. Look at verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Have any of you ever, after coming to your senses... You say, man, God, I was so foolish and ignorant to think this way. I was like a beast of the field, just so stupid. That word there actually, I was so foolish. You could actually also say I was so stupid. I was just so ignorant. Why, why, how did I let myself think this way and doubt God's promises and doubt his word? Oh, I was so vexed and grieved over that. I was like a beast of the field. 23, nevertheless. I am continually with you, but even more important, you hold me by your right hand. What is most important in this story is that God is faithful to his covenant people. God loves you. And though you may be so close to the Lord, and yet you have struggles internally, and you may even question God's plan and his ability to move in your life, He does not leave you. His hand is there to hold yours. And if you will draw near to him, allow him to draw near to you, he said this in verse 24, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Listen, when we experience things in life, we are so tempted to turn to our own resources. We're so tempted to run to people. You know, if maybe you're, you're being betrayed or attacked or, or you're being mistreated by somebody, oftentimes we want to run to those around us who love us the mo- most and say, tell me it isn't so. Tell me I'm a good person. Tell me I haven't done this or done that. Tell me how good I am. Please praise me. Make me feel better about myself. Our first move, though, it must be towards God. Our first move must be towards the presence of God. It must be to His sanctuary where we praise and we, and we glorify Him and we lift up our hands. And, and when we start to praise God and worship Him, it, it levitates us or picks us up out of our place of confusion and fogginess and lets us come up at a bird's eye view and truly see things for what they are and that when you're in the presence of God who is so beautiful and awesome and majestic everything around you is so tiny and minuscule even those moments in life that feels like a punch to the gut when you're in his presence and you allow him to embrace you and speak to you and encourage you and counsel you everything begins to make sense everything begins to make sense and though you don't know still may not know what's around the corner Though you don't know what what will happen, you do know your promise to be received up into glory. Your promise that blessed hope that's in Jesus Christ. This place is not our home. My hope is not in this world. My hope is not in this government, in the Congress, or in the President. My hope are not in my children, not in the congregation of Grace River Chapel. It's not in my wife or my family. My hope is in Jesus Christ. You can take all those things away, but you can never take Christ from me. And if you remove me from this world, I will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm only going to move on up. And so, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength of my portion and my portion God is the strength of my heart and of my portion forever. Let Jesus be the first one you run to every single day, good or bad, no matter how great things are going, no matter how bad things are going. Let your first direction that you take, let it be towards the presence of Jesus Christ. We are weak in ourselves. Our flesh is weak. Our feelings betray us. But he will strengthen our heart. And He is my portion forever. Jesus is the strength of my heart. He is my hope. He is my counsel. He is my guide. And I close here with verse 28. Why not you all come help me? He says in verse 28, here's how he concludes. Here, here is Asaph's testimony after this whole experience of this internal struggle of this almost anger with God and this bitterness towards people and envy towards the wrongdoer. And after he came into the sanctuary of God and everything in his mind was made right and he worshipped God and he realized that God was still with him and he was there to strengthen him and uphold him and hold him by his hand and that he was the strength of his heart and the portion forever. Here is Asaph's conclusion and this should be our conclusion as well in verse 28. Verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. It is good for me to draw near to God. Let that be your heart's desire every day. And let that be the testimony of your life. It is good for me to draw near to God. Did you ever regret... Coming to the Lord in prayer. Did you ever regret trusting in God? Has any person ever been left ashamed for putting their hope and trust in God? No. There's no regrets there. And I can certainly tell you, every single person in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven today, they'll tell you it was all worth it. Though it's hard, though it's difficult, though it's confusing. You can ask, God's question, ask God questions, but endeavor not to question God's plan, question God's sovereignty. But if you come to that place where you just, you, just, you just don't understand, it's good for you to draw near to God. It is good for you to draw near to God. And he says, lastly, I've put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works I mentioned earlier the tabernacle how that the holy of holies was where the high priest went on the day of atonement and he sprinkled the blood of the Passover lamb on the mercy seat to make propitiation for the people of God And the people in this day and time in the Old Testament, they did not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They had the law of God. They had the law to lead and direct them and instruct them and to guide them. And they were still saved by faith, just like you and I are. By grace through faith in the coming Messiah. But there was one. There was once and for all a lamb that was slain 2,000 years ago. On Passover weekend in Jerusalem. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful the sanctuary that you run to today it is jesus the holy of holies that you run to today is it is access through the blood of Jesus. You no longer have to go through a veil. His flesh, His flesh has become the veil. And the veil was torn from the top to the bottom when He was crucified. And now you can enter the presence of God not through a high priest, not through a man, but through Jesus Christ the righteous. You can now access the throne of God through Jesus Christ. And you can draw near to Him with boldness and assurance that He will receive you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can hold fast your confession of your hope without wavering. Not because you're so strong, not because you have it all figured out, not because you're so spiritual, but because He who promised, that is God. He is faithful. He is faithful to keep you and to preserve you and allow you to endure to the end. If you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Let's pray. And after we do, I want us to sing this song once more before we go. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless every person who watches this, who is watching. That maybe they're going through a circumstance, that they have internal struggles that nobody else sees. That nobody else knows. They've got things in their heart that they're wrestling with. And they're tempted to doubt your wisdom and your promises and your word, God. I pray that you would just encourage them this moment, Lord. That you would just encourage them to run into your presence. It's when we run to the sanctuary, when we run into your presence and we put our eyes upon you and not upon our problem, not upon our confusion and our questions, but we put our eyes upon you, Jesus, and we praise you and magnify you and lift you up. Everything around us becomes dim and small compared to your brightness and glory and goodness. Help your children here today, God. Let them know, Lord, they can access your throne because of what you did, Jesus, upon that cross. We can access the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad we don't have to go to a place, to a mountain. We don't have to slaughter an animal. We go to a person who once and for all was slain before the foundations of the earth. That is Jesus Christ, who is the one and only mediator between God and man. Lord Jesus, help us to run to you. It is good for us to draw near to you. We will never regret it. We will never lament the fact that we put our hope and faith in you. In Jesus' precious, wonderful name, amen.